Welcome to the Recovery Stories Podcast, bringing you stories of hope, healing, and triumph over the bondage of addictions, mental health struggles, trauma, and dysfunctional family systems. Our courageous storytellers have chosen to live their journey out loud in order to show others that they don't have to suffer in silence. The stories you will hear are raw, real, and may involve graphic and triggering content. This podcast is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or are ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Rooted Recovery Stories. My name is Patrick Custer, and I'm your host. We are so glad that you're here and are joining us either live or on replay. And um, before we get into introducing our special guest, I'm so excited to tell you all about. I just want to remind everyone that we put this podcast together. Um, We don't make money off of it. It's free of charge as a service to um, people in the community, the recovery community, or the potential recovery community. And so um, if you would give us a like or a follow or a comment, any of those things help uh, perpetuate the platform that we're hoping to spread the message of recovery. So we would appreciate that. And without further ado, um, I'm so excited to introduce to you all um, one of the founders of a wonderful program called She Recovers, um, a recovering person herself. Uh, Don Nickel, thank you so much for being here with us today. Oh, Patrick, I'm delighted to be here. And thank you. And thanks to everybody at Promises for all the wonderful work that you do. You know, we've been friends or, you know, connected or yeah. partners or, or collaborators for a number of years now. And you just have an extraordinary team. Although I will say, and you're the first male person on the team that I've met in the past three years. <laughs> I love any organizations that's kind of top heavy with women. So I love it, but I'm, I'm glad. Of I love it too. Inclusive. I um, love working with women. And um, this is the first one of the things that I love about promises is that we have um, a lot of female leadership. It's the first company that I've worked for where I felt like the skills were balanced a lot more. Um, And it's been it's been very inspiring. Some of the most inspirational people in my life um, and influential people in my life and development have been women. And so um, I I am so happy to be surrounded by especially on the marketing team i'm i'm one of the very few men and i i'm perfectly happy with it so yeah um, awesome. yeah so i um wanted to kick things off today a little bit different normally we dive right into somebody's story um but i i want to highlight on the front end and talk about uh, she recovers there's so much to share and i don't even know what specifically to ask you about because y'all are yeah. doing so many good things but um, you know, however you'd like to share about the, the really awesome things you're doing, the, you know, when it was founded, your vision, all those things about She Recovers. I'd love to talk about sure. that first. Sure. I mean, it's it's a little bit inside out from how I usually tell the story because my recovery <laughs> and my daughter's recovery, but my daughter is the other um, founder, really kind of did lead up to the, the um, establishment of She Recovers as it was 10 years ago. But this I can do this too. So 10 years ago in, um, let me see, in about June 2011, I hit the wall with workaholism. I was already mm. several decades into recovery from substance use disorder, intimate partner violence, anxiety, mental health issues, trauma. 
and workaholism just kicked my butt. And I ended up on a four month leave from the three careers that I was doing at the time. I was teaching at the university. I was a consultant and I was also working within government as a director of research for a large um, in, in, in government shop. And when I hit the wall, um, I had four months to kind of reflect on the question that I'd asked myself several decades previously when I first went into a treatment program, which was, why am I trying to kill myself? Like, why am I not taking care of myself? What am I hiding from? What am I numbing from? What the heck is happening here? And so I took four months to just kind of regroup, reconnect with my recovery, something that had been sliding, you know, for some time, I, you know, it was replaced with my workaholism. Had a chance to reflect on the relationships in my family, including with my daughter, my two daughters, mm. but my youngest daughter, who's now a co-founder of our foundation. And I realized that I had just been in a place where life had gotten really busy. Um, my daughter at a younger age had ended up addicted and that kind of took a year and a half out of our family's life to kind of deal with that. My mom got leukemia. She was terminally ill for almost two years and then she died. I was doing a PhD after, you know, at the end of many years in, in university, I actually ended up going for 13 years. So I got used wow. to being really busy. Yeah. And then when my mom passed away, I needed to numb that. So I just continued really forging forward, finished my PhD in record time, started working, felt behind financially and career-wise, so decided I would have three full-time careers. And it was just crazy. But I could see, you know, with some help of a therapist, as always, I could see very quickly that, yeah, I had been numbing. You know, that's what the work was about. Mm -hmm. That's even what hiding in school had been about in part. And that if I was going to survive, I'd also had cancer in there, my own. I almost died from cancer myself in there, like just wow. a few years previous to the workaholism breakdown. So I, I knew that I had to do things different. And fortunately for me, having been in recovery since 1987, I knew what I needed to do. I just needed to go back to basics. I needed to... Um, get in touch with my recovery program at the time, which was a 12-step recovery program. I'm a huge advocate for 12-step recovery, although I recognize it doesn't work for everyone. And to be perfectly transparent, 12-step recovery has become less. I've become less involved in 12-step in programs and fellowships than this last 10 years. I just like to say She Recovers takes up all of my recovery time yeah. and, and every other minute of every day. Um, so yeah, I just kind of settled in and, and thought, what do I want to do here with my life? What I'd really like to do is figure out how other women are recovering. I'd like to start a conversation about how we're all recovering from something, regardless of if it's, if it's my cocaine addiction or my anxiety or my grief over losing my mother, my workaholism. I just really wanted to have a conversation about how we are all in recovery from something and we need to be supported to find and follow individualized pathways and patchworks of recovery. I also learned, you know, started to focus on the idea that regardless of what we think we're in recovery from initially, when we kind of come to step into the journey, uh, we're all so very much alike. And most of us can trace back our um, dysfunctional behavior or addictions to something that happened in childhood, often childhood trauma, um, adverse childhood experiences, etc. So just kind of have this loosely formed conversation that I wanted to have. And I started having it on a blog called Recovering Dawn during those four months and really, really was inspired to see so many women connect with the blog and talk to me about, yeah, like I've never had a drug problem, but I'm addicted to sex or I'm addicted to love, like love and just kind of opened up the conversation. And at the end of four months, um, I was ready to go back to work. 
I stopped teaching at the university and I gave up my consulting job and I went just back into my one full-time job in government. And about four months back, after about four months back at work, the universe delivered this beautiful gift. It didn't feel like it at the time. It felt like a rejection. Go, go figure. But um, my research unit was dissolved because of the mm -hmm. downturn in the economy. And I was given a year severance, which was beautiful. And I got to go away and spend another year thinking about what do I really want to do and who do I want to be for this next chapter of my life. And I, I, I determined through the blog that I've been writing that I really wanted to work in the area of women and recovery. Having had spent 13 years in university and coming out with a PhD in healthcare policy, focusing a lot on gender and caregiving, um, I didn't want to go back to school to become a counselor. And I decided I would become a recovery coach. And I took a year long recovery coach um, certified professional recovery coach program during my year of severance and my year off. And we had started a Facebook page called She Recovers during that time. And so we were getting, we were continuing the conversation. We were talking with women and my youngest daughter who was, um, who had been in and out a little bit of recovery, but was really quite, quite firm in her recovery at the time. Um, Taryn, she's also a yoga teacher and a trauma-informed mm -hmm. yoga teacher. So in 2012, we decided we would have, we would host a retreat. So now we had a Facebook page and one little retreat on the beach in Tulum, Mexico at the end of 2012. And that was just really the start of it. The, the retreat was very successful. Um, I was doing a little bit of coaching. I, I did go back to a career. I went back to consulting, but I was kind of part-time consulting and really trying to figure out what the She Recovers thing was going to be about with Taryn. And it really just turned into a, a Facebook page, a community, and um, retreats. So we did retreats up until about 2016 when we realized that we needed to do more. We wanted to grow. She recovers. We decided we would do a big conference in New York City. Wow. So we held a beautiful conference in May 2017 in downtown Manhattan. Marianne Williamson, uh, Gabby Bernstein, Glennon Doyle. And Elizabeth Vargas from 2020 were our keynotes. We always joke wow. and say, like, we just kind of, we blew the budget. It was incredibly <laughs> insane. It was our first one. We didn't really know what we were doing. We we're like, ah, we'll have her, we'll have her. We invited all four of them to come and be a keynote speaker, thinking one would maybe say yes, and all four said yes. <laughs> and then we couldn't, you know, we couldn't say, well, no, we sure. didn't send that invitation. Legally, we couldn't even. I guess I didn't really realize that a firm offer, when we put in a firm offer, right. it's really a firm offer. So it was very successful. Uh, around that same time, we launched the She Recovers Coach Designation Program, where we have therapists and other professionals in the addictions field um, and the behavioral health field who can take a 10-hour desi designation to become a She Recovers Coach, other recovery coaches, etc. So that was happening. The conference was happening. We did another conference in 2018. And we were just kind of moving right along. You know, we weren't providing, we started a Facebook group in 2018. And it just became a place where we had more kind of um, community connections with uh, women and other non-binary individuals who identify with women's community communities. But we weren't really doing much online other than Taryn was doing some yoga online and we had the Facebook groups. But of course, it wasn't until March 2020 that we realized uh, we needed to do something different. So by March 2020, we had about 100 She Recovers coaches. Wow. They were hosting She Recovers Sharing Circles once a month in communities across North America and beyond, like in Sydney, Australia, in Paris. And uh, everything stopped. You mm -hmm. know, all of a sudden we were, we were not, and we were just really getting going on the in-person 
idea and building it. We were building towards creating chapters in cities. I think there was 25 cities across the U.S., about six or seven in Canada. And then the others were um, elsewhere in the world. And in March, you know, we realized, okay, we can't do that. We had, um, we'd done, we had done another conference in LA. She recovers in LA in 2018. It was amazing at the Beverly Hilton. We had planned wow. to do, she recovers in Miami at, at the Biltmore last May, 2020. So that got canceled. The 10 retreats we had planned for the year got canceled. Mm. All of our sharing circles got shut down. We had done a, um, a tour in 2019 called the creating connections tour where we went around to six different cities in North America, five in the U S and, and Toronto. And, uh, excuse me, we, everything was just done. You know, now we were, what do we do? We have no revenue. We have no, we have nothing. Like what are we even going to do mm -hmm. other than our online coaching program? So we determined, uh, that we needed to hop online and see if we could start hosting meetings, which we'd always said, we should do online meetings, you know, but I, and then I would say, no, people can go to in the rooms. They've got everything they need there. And, and in the rooms is a wonderful, wonderful platform mm -hmm. for those of you who don't know it. Um, look it up. It's in the rooms.com. But we decided we had something different and we were going to hop on and start offering meetings. And so we did that. And so we've been hosting meetings twice a day, every day since March 17th, as things evolved, we realized there were some other needs. And so we've now got a, a, on the weekends, there's a weekly meeting for black, indigenous and women of color. We have another one for LGBTQ plus, another one for healthcare professionals, you know, certainly um, a group that was really needing extra support in the beginning mm -hmm. and throughout this pandemic. We have one for legal professionals and another meeting for um, mothers of high needs children, uh, many children across uh, on the autism spectrum. Wow, so what a great, I mean, I can see how that would be such a needed, um, specific group yeah it's incredible it's really incredible so it's just we've kind of evolved into this we're still doing coaching um you know we started mm -hmm. we we had done one in-person yoga teacher training with with certified yoga teachers they can become a trauma-informed yoga teacher which she recovers that went online our meetings went online um and we were still a business but we were a business without any revenues in front of us. Yeah. So, you know, there was a time at the beginning of last March where we were like, this might be the end. You know, we were, you know, as an organization, we were like just poised to deliver the greatest support and to continue to grow. And, you know, we realized that we have no revenue streams. So um, coincidentally or not, the universe delivers on April 6th, 2020, just a few weeks after we, switched to online and we were, you know, in the process of figuring out what we were going to do. We received our 501c3 um, charitable designation from the IRS, something that we had applied for 18 months previously when we actually thought the model was going to be, we were going to be so successful financially, we'd need a foundation to figure out, you know, so that we could help more people. Mm -hmm. um, and now we were actually pivoting to depend on this non-charitable, this charitable uh, nonprofit status to sustain us. And so yeah. good timing. We've just continued along in the last year. We've added um, so many things to our offerings. We do a mental health Monday program. So every Monday for an hour, we invite clinicians and other experts to talk about various mental health issues. We received a wonderful grant from Alchemy's Pharmaceuticals to continue to run that program. Uh, you know, we've formed a partnership with betterhelp.com so that anybody yeah. in our community or anybody is, who even just accesses the link can receive 35% off of their first month of online therapy, which is already so affordable. Wow. 
And we just continue to develop partnerships with um, wonderful companies. You know, Promises is, is, is been signed up to be a sponsor for She Recovers in Miami, which is finally going to happen next April. Um, Yay! So yeah, we've just, you know, we've got, we've built our team out. And as that's happened yeah. personally, myself and my daughter, Taryn, have actually kind of receded um, from the day-to-day of the organization. I'm found, we're both founders. I'm board chair. She's vice chair. Um, she's got her own platform and her own coaching program. I've returned to consulting. I do a lot of consulting in the area of mental health and addictions. Um, but of course, we're still very involved strategically. And we still take every opportunity we can like this to talk to people about the foundation because we believe in it so deeply. We just really believe that as a grassroots organization, as a nonprofit, um, it needs to kind of, we need to step back to give it some breath, some breathing room mm-hmm. to grow and to be driven uh, by the community and and the volunteers and and, and some new people who have come onto our team who are um, have a lot more expertise, including in marketing and development and fundraising and all of those things. So it's been a journey. That's awesome. Um, and I'm excited to see how when, you know, fingers crossed uh, at, over this next year and we get to see, um, you know, our country, the world recover from, you know, the all the ways that Corona has affected uh, everything. Um, and just how y'all continue to flourish and grow yeah um, we're definitely focused now like strategically on on priming and getting ready for going back to in-person connections i think especially after this past 18 months Uh it's even more instrumental that we that we do do it safely and not do it until we're ready to do it until and of course always following public health guidelines i'm a public health policy analyst i you know i wouldn't do it any other way um but yeah i think people are really desperate to get back into person Absolutely. Um, so if you and so, so sorry to ask you this number off the top of your head, but do you know uh, around about how many because I've heard it quoted before, um, and I don't know what the number was, but there's some number out there that talks about um, how many women who have been affected, positively affected by your uh, by she recovers. Um, do you have a statistic that you can share on that? Or you know, basically what well, we, we have, we have numbers, right? So we have outputs yeah. and inputs, but um, our, we have a following of about 270,000 on Facebook, wow. but because of Facebook, that doesn't always mean a lot because of the algorithms and, yeah. you know, I wish Facebook would take a little bit of time and, and do something to support nonprofits that are providing mm-hmm. life-giving services instead of trying to, you know, hold us back and trying to make us pay if we want to help somebody. Yeah. Mike Zuckerberg or Mark or whatever your name is. Yep. If, I'm sure he loves being called Mike. Um, so, but within our community, so our Facebook group itself, we've had about 2000 people in it. It started in January, 2018. So over two years, we had grown it to about 2000, maybe 2300 by last mm. March. We're now over 9,000 women in that community. And I would say that, I mean, it's a very active and engaged community. So there, are, I'd say there are thousands of kind of actively engaged women in there uh, and non-binary individuals. And then our other groups, you know, our smaller groups are also have their own kind of flavor and their own communities. Um, when we do our Mental Health Mondays, usually have 100 people accessing it when it's live, but then it goes up on our YouTube channel. So the reach is actually thousands of people 
can That's access awesome. those things. Um, we also, you know, we have, for instance, we have a, a series coming up again with Pathlight Mood and Anxiety Disorders. We're doing skills building sessions free. The first one is on building skills for anxiety. The second is building skills for depression. The third is building skills for grief. They're being held in, one in September, then in October, then in December. And, you know, there's probably about 200 people signed up for each session. And we're actually just starting to market the sections now. So, you know, we, we get kind of, as soon as we tell this little Facebook group of 9,000 that we're doing something, we get a little bit of attention. And then when we head out and start doing our marketing. Um, I like to think that, you know, we're we're affecting thousands and thousands of people. And we believe, so I believe that when, when women heal, families heal. And when, you know, yeah. we're, because of my daughter's story and my story, we are extremely interested in healing intergenerational trauma. And, you know, we're, we're just, we're the epitome of that, right? That that's our story. Well, and speaking so, of that, yeah, let's dive into it. I mm -hmm. would love to uh, talk about where, like where your story began. And, yeah. uh, you know, I love that you mentioned the intergenerational trauma because uh, my gosh, so, so very many of us have that, have either are working through it, don't even know it's there or, um, you know, have done, you know, yeah. so much work to, to make it through. Um, and, yeah, it's um, really, it's, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's Taryn's passion is intergenerational mm -hmm. trauma, healing from it and, and intergenerational wisdom as well. So she focuses a lot on that and she mm -hmm. certainly brought that to our organization and to our family. I always say it's so fun going on retreat with your kid when all she wants to talk about is intergenerational trauma. Like, <laughs> I'm lying on the beach. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk about my grandfather anymore. Um, uh, but I guess, you know, our story is like so many people's stories, right? There was um, dysfunction in my past and it, yeah. I, I can trace it back. I won't take it back as far as I can trace it, but in my lifetime, my grandfather or not before, just before I was born. So not in my lifetime, in my mother's lifetime, her father went off to war, the Second World War, and he went off um, a lovely, gentle, banjo-playing artist, and he came back a raging alcoholic drug addict with a temper. And, and you know, he so he um, abused, physically abused my grandmother in front of my mother and her brother, mm -hmm. and she grew up in, in family violence. So it was very, very difficult for her. And so that translated into her, in our family, you know, for her, it was like, she wasn't going to put up with any of that in our family. Right. You know? And so in my own family, my parents, um, it's so hard for me to judge other people and to talk about other people, but my, there was a lot of drinking in our family in our extended family, you know, it was always every weekend. It was the aunts and the cousins and it was, it was great actually. Like, it was fun. I think that's where I learned that, Oh, you know, substances make people happy. This is right. a good thing. Right. I should remember yeah. this. And in my own dad's case, who I love dearly, he's nine years old and he's just one of the, he's, he's, he's awesome. But growing up, um, he has anxiety. He has OCD. He has a lot mm -hmm. of things that he wouldn't probably admit to having. And he was very miserable all of the time, except mm -hmm. on the weekend when he would have a few beer or a few rum and Coke and, and let loose and relax. And then he was funny dad, happy dad. You know, I used to joke, yeah. you can joke with dad about being bald um, from about Friday at six till Saturday at 10 at night, but don't do it on Sunday or Monday. Mm. And so we just grew up in a family that there was no violence. My mother wouldn't have st stood for it. It was just always this simmering anxiety and tension. 
you know, and added to that, my parents had some marital problems. And so, yeah, just grew up in that pressure cooker family, right? Where, you know, say nothing, don't be, be invisible, don't say anything, keep quiet, don't laugh. You know, I remember, you know, we couldn't laugh at the dinner table or my dad would tell us to be quiet and eat, you know, like we couldn't do anything. It was just, we were so oppressed and suppressed. Mm -hmm. So when their, um, my parents' marital issues kind of got out a little bit out of control and they broke up when I, for a period of time, they did get back together and were together until my mom died 20 years ago. Um, I was 16 years old and I just, I needed to get out of my house. And so I, I quit school. I ran away to the Yukon of all places. If you know, Alaska, the Yukon is right beside it. I was, I was 16 years old. I wasn't prepared to live as an adult. And yeah. I ended up um, hooking up with some friends who were much older than I was and doing things that were dangerous. You know, mm -hmm. so I was all of a sudden thrown into the world of drug dealers and drug users. And I became a drug dealer and a drug user myself. And for me, you know, at 16, I became addicted extremely quickly. By the time I was 17, I was overdosing in and out of hospital. And by was the time there, I was Did 18, you have a specific I, drug of uh, choice that was that? You know, at the at the time, it was actually more uh, pills. I was I uh, used a lot of Mandrix and mm -hmm. Valium, so um, and and alcohol mixing with alcohol mm -hmm. and and other drugs. I never liked psychedelics, um, but I did start to like cocaine a lot when I was eighteen. Mm -hmm. So cocaine was probably it. I had um, you know I had a brief dance with heroin, and then one of my best friends overdosed on heroin beside me, and that was that was good enough for me. Yeah. Um, but it really was a lot of pills and alcohol and always marijuana, like just always cannabis. So by the time I was 18, I, I, my life was such a mess already in two years. And, and I somehow had the wherewithal to know that I didn't want that life. And so I began my journey of trying to control my using and couldn't do it. So 18 to 20 was a disaster. Um, more, uh, you know, then I started attempting suicide because I just felt so out of control and my life was so mm -hmm. chaotic. And then when I was 20, um, I got pregnant and it just was something that I had not planned. And, but I was faced with this choice, you know, am I going to really do something about my issues or am I not going to have a child? Like what's, what's it going to be? And I decided I wanted to have that child and I had her, she turned 40 this year. Her name is Ashley. And, you know, that was not the end of my using, but it was the end of my daily using. It was the end of my really, really um, dangerous living. Uh, mm. It was the beginning of my binge, kind of my binge using, right? So I could go months. I, I meant I went through my pregnancy, most of my pregnancy without using, not all of it. I didn't use drugs, but I did drink and I drank to excess probably four or five times against my will. I didn't want to, it's just, I didn't have any control. Yeah. And then for the next couple of years, um, just really, again, tried not to use. And then I ended up in a relationship with my a drug dealer and we had a child who was Taryn, who's the co-founder of she recovers and he had a serious serious cocaine problem well i guess i did too but i could always blame it on him more <laughs> um and he would get violent he so it was it was cocaine induced violence but he would get violent and that happened a number of times so again i was just you know we were together for less than two years after Taryn was born and um, I uh, trying not to use drugs now trying not to be in a relationship where I could potentially get killed. And I just decided that I needed, I needed help. And um, what that happened for us was my ex ended up in the hospital in drug induced psychosis. And during that 
period of time in the hospital. Um, he was assigned, he, he was, they wouldn't let him leave the hospital until he saw a drug counselor. And so I went with him to see this drug counselor and they told him, um, not only do you have to give up cocaine, but you can't drink or smoke pot anymore. So he walked out, like he was out of there. Yeah. And, and I was there, I was left there and I was, well, I, I can probably help him. So I'll keep coming to see you because I do codependency is a thing with me. So I stayed mm -hmm. seeing that therapist for six months and several months in, um, she just turned to me one day and said, I know we keep talking about your ex-husband and his problem, but I don't even remember what he looks like. And I wonder if we could take a moment to talk about your problem with substances. And honestly, Patrick, it was just like in that moment, I was like, part of me was like, oh my God, I'm busted. I can't keep, you know, fooling her or me or anybody else. Mm -hmm. And in the other, uh, the other part of it was like a huge relief that we were going to focus on me and, and, you know, what had happened to me. And so I made a deal with her that I, I told her, of course, because I'd quit so often. I said, listen, I can stop and never use again. Don't even worry about me. This is, I've done it so many times. I'll just do it with, and I won't start again. Like I just, I know I can do it. And she made me promise that if I couldn't, that I would go to treatment for 28 days. And I said, yes. And I promised that I would be honest about it. And two weeks later, I was in front of her crying and saying, I, 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 I couldn't stop. I need to go to treatment. And I went to treatment Wow. in July, 1987. And I have not used cocaine or drank alcohol or taken pills recreationally since. And um, that was the beginning of my recovery. I was introduced to 12-step recovery. I went to um, a 12-step recovery for alcohol for two years off and on, but I was smoking pot the whole time. And I remember sharing that at a meeting and this old timer came up to me at the end and said, hey, we don't talk, we don't talk about that around here. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? That's perfect. <laughs> That's perfect. Um, but as it turned out, I actually got wired to pot, which I, I thought nobody gets wired to pop, but I was so wired to it that I ended up back in treatment to get off of wow. that. So yeah. two years later, May, 1989, I went to treatment and um, it just addressed, you know, some other things, obviously. Mm -hmm. And since then I've used drugs to change how I feel once 21 years ago when my mother passed away. And for one day I took her leftover pills and I took them as prescribed, which I remember talking to a friend of mine in, in, in a program, a 12-step recovery program for people in addiction. And I said, but but I took them as prescribed. And just the look on her face, I was like, yeah, no, I, I took them to change how I felt. But yeah. So if, if when I'm a member and if I go to those meetings and I talk about my clean time, I say I have 21 years. And when I talk about my recovery journey, I say, you know, I have 34 with most of that completely abstinent. And mm -hmm. um, that works for me. I think it's uh, so important that, oh goodness, we, um, I love that, that you, you shed some light on that there because uh, I got sober, I'm, I'm, I'm also in recovery myself and I got sober in, um, in the 12 step community and um, went through a great, you know, program that is, it was very um, well, it was, it was a 12 step immersion program. Um, and it is, you know, it's what saved my life, but um, there's the, yeah, abstinence is obviously important for people <laughs> that are in recovery, but we're learning more and more that um, about the stigma. And, and if we're going to break it, that we have to um, be, you know, using language and coming from a place of 
um, understanding and compassion when it comes to the recovery journey rather than putting so much emphasis on clean time. Um, Because if we're talking about a disease, things go in and out of remission and it doesn't mean, you know, the, you know, so uh, yeah. I'm with you 3000%. I mean, it's, it's the, I've seen more people die in the last three, excuse me, three decades. (coughs) So I guess we'll have an edit. Cue for the water. (laughs) I completely agree. I, I think that I've seen more people die from their addiction um, because they were so ashamed of having used and, you know, we're kind of set up to shame them in a sense in some programs, right? So She Recovers isn't an abstinence-based program because we're not a substance use only program. We're everything. Right. I generally say to women, you know, when I'm talking about what we're about, you know, we're all in recovery from something. And I say, the thing you think you're in recovery from is really not what you're, it's really your coping mechanism and your solution to Mm -hmm. hiding and to, you know, what you're trying to numb. So you may think it's wine. Uh, The wine is, is just your coping mechanism. So let's get to the the trauma or the anxiety or the underlying thing. Yep. So that um, as long and as long as we're healing and on our healing journey, if you if you do pick up a glass of wine again, it's just natural. It's nothing to be ashamed of. And although abstinence is my pathway, it's you know it's definitely what I've chosen. It doesn't mean it's right for everybody. I certainly have friends who are IV drug, you know opioid users who now just smoke pot and that is their harm reduction method. And I celebrate them. I celebrate them. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could go off on a whole other tangent about that, but I know I same. And, uh, it's, it's, it, it's again, you know, such, it's been an interesting journey. I think for many of us who come from abstinence based 12 step, you know, um, coming out of a mentality that, just because it's worked for so many of us and, yeah. and um, a majority in decades past, you know, doesn't necessarily mean this exact pattern and way is how everybody has to do it. And there well, are, especially there are because other... I'm sure, Patrick, in your own experience, like mine, I witnessed it not working for so many people. Yeah. But when they walk out the door and they have nothing else to go to, then that's when mm-hmm. it's it's critical. Right. So we spend, we have 10 intentions and guiding principles for she recovers. And one of them is that we have to be supported to find and follow individualized pathways and patchworks of recovery. So we're always mm. having that conversation. We're always having the conversation that my recovery doesn't need to look like yours. At the same yeah. time, we say we support all pathways and criticize none. So we don't allow bashing of 12 step programs in our communities. Mm. Could you, would you share all of those with, I'd love to hear the the 10. Do you want me to read them? Sure. Yes. I know them off by heart, but just, this will be faster. The first one is we're all recovering from something Mm. pretty straightforward. The second is we don't have to hit rock bottom to pursue recovery in any area of our lives. We believe in early intervention. And I think this speaks directly to this idea that, you know, we don't, we don't have to be faced with jails, institutions, and death to make a decision that we really want to change our life and, and change our family's trajectory as well. So we believe very much in that. And as a healthcare policy analyst, you know, I always say like, we're all about early intervention except with addiction. And then we wait till somebody is like hanging off of a bridge mm. before we give them help. Like it's, yeah. it's, you know, another kind of thing that I, I talk a lot about. Third is we must be supported to find and follow individualized pathways and patchworks of recovery. Four, recovery is a journey to wholeness. 
we learn to take care of our body, mind, emotions, and spirit, just like a holistic pathway, right? And this is, Taryn brings a lot of um, embodiment practices into our community and trauma-informed yoga and essential oils and all sorts of other wonderful things. Number five is we answer the call to heal our past wounds and intergenerational traumas so we can live fully in the present. So we really try to be a very trauma respondent organization. Like we're set up all of our, we have um, guidelines and we have three people leading each online meeting. One is a professional recovery coach. That's always the facilitator. Then there's a co-host and a guardian and they're just guarding the space and making sure that everybody is, you know, I don't want to say behaving because of course they do behave, Mm -hmm. but they answer questions. You know, they're there to encourage Um, if somebody is having an issue, they're there to help, Um, you know, whether that means taking things offline or not. Um, Six is we focus on our strengths, not our defects. This is how we change. And I will admit that that is, that is a complete nod to my own experience in 12 step recovery. Initially, I, I learned afterwards that it was just my experience, not everybody's, but I did feel in the first couple of years, like, I mean, I walked into recovery thinking that I was just one big defect. Mm-hmm. And then the focus on defects in the program, I, could, I couldn't hear anything except that, the yeah. defects. And, you know, I had the experience of the first time I did a fourth and fifth step with my sponsor. She was a young mom and we got, we started off with all my defects. So like three hours of my defects. And then she had to go because the baby was not doing well. And I left there without having had a chance to say anything about an asset for like three weeks before we got back together. And it was traumatic for me. You know, I was living in this place of defects. So um, I just believe in strength-based practice. And Mm -hmm. I believe that in recovery, we, we lead with our, with our strengths. Right. So when women in our community come on and go, we try and get them off the whole notes day one again, it's, you know, I, I was sober for 70 days or, you know, I didn't do Coke for 60 days. And then last night I used, and now it's all gone. And we really try to say, let's just build on the 60 or 70 days. If you can do it for 60 or 70, let's just focus on that. Don't focus on last night or you're for sure going to use again today and tomorrow. Like let's just celebrate what you did accomplish. And it, it does change women's thinking about themselves. So Uh, the next one is we understand that the practice of radical self-love is paramount to our well-being. And that's really a lot about self-care. And, you know, we talk about self-care in our community, in our meetings a lot. And we don't mean bubble baths and treating yourself necessarily. We mean learning boundaries, um, you know, understanding how important it is to take care of like our schedule, um, you know, time management, kind of um, how to boundaries is a really big thing. I think learning how to set boundaries is the greatest form of self-care that we can practice. Amen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, next is we do our individual work in order to create and hold healing spaces for everyone. All women deserve recovery. And this is really about, um, just in March last year, we kind of March and April, we kind of, in our meetings, we were able to provide support to everyone who was like, we were all going like, what's a pandemic? Like, what does this mean? Oh my gosh. Why are my kids here every day? Why aren't they in school? Like, how can I do this? And then in May with the murder of George Floyd, we had, a whole new, you know, we were kind of settling into the pandemic and now we had all the unrest and, and the trauma around the George Floyd killing. And we recognize that in our community, which is predominantly white, 
uh, that we needed to do some work and we needed to do some work as an organization. We needed to do some work to ensure that the women of color in our community did feel safe and supported. And we needed to encourage women in our community to do their own anti-racism work. So uh, we were very fortunate. Um, a wonderful coach who works with us, she's a She Recovers coach. Sherry Hampton is her name. And we worked with her. Um, we supported her and hired a consultant to work with her to develop an anti-racism training, specifically for recovery spaces. And she's actually at Mobilized Recovery in Las Vegas this weekend. And she'll be That's offering awesome. that training there. She offers it to our community. It's... Um, it's mandatory for our volunteers and our coaches mm -hmm. and our yoga teachers. And at that around the same time, that's when we started our She Recovers Support for Black, Indigenous and Women of Color group, because women in our community said they just they just wanted to be in a space where they could process what was going on without having to worry, without having to worry that without having to worry about anybody else figuring out what they should or shouldn't be talking about. They yeah. didn't, you know, so. Um, and that's been just wonderful. Then we did, we ended up doing a critical conversation webinar with Sherry and some other of our coaches um, called Healing the Effects of Racism for Black Women in Recovery, which was really awesome. Excuse me, I'm going to cough again. Oh, you're fine. <coughs> I talk too much. And then the last two, um, one is when we're ready, we recover out loud so that women who are struggling can find and join our movement. This is really important to us. We really do encourage people to recover out loud, but the key term there is when we're ready. Yeah. So I know so many of us who kind of find recovery, I don't know if you were like this, but I was, I remember before I even went into treatment telling my family doctor, if you ever, but ever want anybody to talk about recovery, give me a call. Excuse me. And I, I hadn't even been to treatment yet. Like I was just there to get a physical to go into treatment. And I can still see his kind of smile going, yeah, I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> but, um, and then the last is connection is our sole purpose. And then soul, 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 S-O-L-E, S-O-U-L, purpose, uh, we're stronger together. And that's just about our kind of philosophy that we just need one other person in our life to believe in us and support. Like that's a connection. And as an organization, we need to collaborate with organizations like yours mm -hmm. and others um, that we're stronger together, regardless of if we're in a 12-step program or we're doing um, Dharma recovery or if we're doing, mm -hmm. you know, what life ring or any of the other wonderful modalities out there um, that yeah. we, we shouldn't pick and choose and, and kind of highlight one over the other. Our job as an organization and as women in recovery is to support other women to figure out what works for them. So we're not a program. We like to see ourselves as a program, as an umbrella over all the beautiful things out there that women can access. Gosh, I love that. I love it. It takes the ego out of uh, out of it, and I think that's one of the most important things when we're looking at creating um, positive, safe change. Um, and I love that last um, piece that you talked number ten, which uh, it kind of jives with our um at promises we every year um do our own uh i guess theme for national recovery month which i forgot to mention at the beginning of this episode i'm so grateful and glad that we are closing out uh national recovery month with um your episode we've been so excited to um highlight she recovers and um our theme this year is together we are the change and um, it, it couldn't be more true. 
um, you know, we talk about the, you know, the opposite of addiction and sickness is connection, you know, and it's not just the individual, it's the, the people providing care, the people providing solution. Um, you know, we, we have to band together and, um, and work together to, you know, fill in the gaps and identify, um, where we're missing it because just like you know i hear you talking about how you know your career has evolved and your des your desire to help and how it's changed and even the evolution of she recovers um in the field of the the helping field um the field of what we're all doing to promote wholeness in the individual um how we do it how we get there and what and, and even in some ways when we look at what wholeness is considered and viewed as now versus what it was viewed as 10 years ago, yeah. you know? Um, and that piece, I think we, we have the ability to continue to advance so much quicker together. <laughs> it's so important, Patrick. And I think about my own experience, even just growing up in recovery, you know, in the first decade where I would meet people, I was in, I was an NA, I guess I'll say it. Mm -hmm. I, kind of, I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. I was an NA. Yeah. Some of my best friends were in Naranon. Uh -huh. Like women friends were in Naranon. But we couldn't like go to the city. They could come. We could go to each other's kind of conferences or conventions. Mm -hmm. But we were always the other at each other's. Con like it, we were mm -hmm. never. There was never anything where like we could be together at a camp out. But if yeah. we were going to do education and learning, it was like you were either you were either the family member or you were the person in recovery. And, and that's a barrier that needs to be broken down, right? I mean, I, I'm yeah. very happy that in my own work, in my own consulting work right now, looking at a lot of solutions in the addictions field, where we're trying to move even treatment programs themselves in the direction of family centered treatment, right? Mm. Because, you know, you, you, I had wonderful treatment for 28 days, but then I went back home into a relation, like back into a house where my partner was still using and had no mm. desire not to use. And it's just like, we've got to break down this siloed approach, whether that's, you know, I also said the same about myself. I had anxiety. I was recovering from violence. I was recovering from drugs. I, you know, I had trauma from my childhood that I'd never addressed. And I couldn't, I didn't have time to go to four different programs for all of those things. Right. I needed to go somewhere where I could just come and go, this is how I'm feeling today. This is what I need mm -hmm. today. And, you know, like, where can I go to get these other pieces? But I needed somewhere where I could be a whole person where I could bring my whole, my whole big piece of luggage with all of the issues and not parse out little bits here and there and tell this therapist part of the story and another one over here. Yep. So I appreciate so much. And I've seen um, what Promises does in particular by focusing on the whole individual and uh, the need to engage with, with everybody within kind of a, an individual's um, Yeah. Realm. Absolutely. Well, and the um, as you were reading the tenets of your of your program, um, you know, I keep thinking about how it's kind of how we've shaped our my what I do at Promises. I'm in the marketing department, but I oversee our alumni program, and um, I, there are so many similarities between how you were describing, you know, the the how the forming approach to recovering the whole, you know, the whole person and everything um, that we've attempted to do with our um, 
that our aftercare alumni services. And um, I'm hoping that we see more and more um, programs and approaches pop up or transition, you know, to that approach rather than the one size fits all. Um, well, we'll be in community. I mean, we're in, we're in, I, I know that you're kind of spread out all over the place, but we have a community already in Nashville. We have one in Atlanta. We, you know, we have them in Denver. We have them all over the place. So, um, and, and that's the, that's the idea, right? That these in-person communities will be doing educational yes. evenings where we'll be drawing people from the community, including experts and clinicians, service providers, other nonprofits, and having conversations about how do we support families in our community, regardless of what they're recovering from. So beautiful. Well, um, okay. So I wanted to, I've got a couple questions for you. Um, how can people get involved with She Recovers, learn more information? Yeah, we are, we have an, ex, our website is packed full with information. So if you yeah. go to our website, which is www.sherecovers.org, um, if you look on uh, under online programs, you will see a link to our daily gatherings and you can go to that page and it'll give you our schedule of all our meetings, including the ones on the weekend for the specialty populations and a link that takes you right to the group. So right through to the Zoom. Uh, you do need to be a, an authorized Zoom user. And there are some questions that you have to answer if you ask to be admitted to any of our Facebook groups. Uh, the information about our Mental Health Mondays and our um, Skills Building series, et cetera, will be on there. Oh, Mental Health Mondays is already there. Skills Building will be up early next week. Um, there's information about our retreats, which are currently all filled out. We're just, do, we've all filled up we're doing a few you know we've just kind of put our feet back into um i'm heading off to maine in a couple of weeks to head to um, facilitate two small 12 person healthcare retreats awesome. for healthcare professionals um you'll find access to our yoga there you'll find out everything we're up to you'll you'll see how you can donate to our current fundraising campaign which is wonderful. called unite to ignite we have a wonderful donor who's matching the first thirty thousand dollars of donations so we're excited about that yeah. Um, yeah. There's just there's everything is pretty well on there, and you can access. If you have any questions, I believe you can just email Very admin cool. at sherecovers.org, and your and questions And is it will be is uh, face, Facebook and are are you on Facebook and Instagram? I, you know, I know you. We're also on Facebook. Facebook. She recovers, and on Instagram, yep. she recovers. We're on LinkedIn. She recovers foundation. Perfect. Um, yeah. Very cool. Um, Awesome. All right. My last question for you is for that uh, person that is listening or watching today who, um, you know, really feels like they can relate or, you know, just something got, got them, you know, and listening to your story, what would, what would be that last bit of encouragement you'd like to leave with them today? You know, I would have, I would want to say to them what I always wanted to hear and what eventually I have heard over the years, right? Which is you do not have to do this alone. Mm -hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with you. Some things happened to you that may have been influencing your behavior in the recent or even distant past. You're not a bad person. Um, what I'm known best for, one of the things that people re repeat often that I, that I said a few years ago and it kind of stuck was, excuse me, I'm going I'm to say one bad word. Oh, uh, but yes, the shit sure. you did is just the shit you did. It's not who you are. And so if shame or if you're hesitating because of shame or you think that you've done things that nobody else has ever done hmm. first of all you're probably wrong it's probably a lot of people have done it but don't let any of those thoughts keep you from reaching out for help 
And if you come to our community, there's no expectations on what you're going to do. You can come and hang out, keep your video off on our calls. You won't be called upon to share. You can just listen to see, hear how other women are healing. Um, but yeah, the main thing is you just, you don't have to recover alone. So beautiful. All right. I know. I, I think that the last thing I said to you was a lie. That was my last question, but I just did think of one other one that I want to ask you. What was it like to meet Glennon Doyle? You know, it's Glennon was awesome. She was there with Abby. So, yeah. um, and I did, I actually interviewed her. We did a fireside chat on the stage. Awesome. She was wonderful. Um, and they got married actually the next weekend. And we didn't know that at the time. That's so cool. It was as wonderful as meeting Elizabeth Vargas, who yeah. had just released her book Between Breaths, which is just a beautiful memoir about mm. alcoholism and anxiety. And I did a, an interview with her on the stage too. Marianne Williamson just never disappoints. Um, you know, and then in actually in LA, we had Cheryl Strayed was one of our keynote speakers. And um, Ashley Judd is going to be our keynote speaker in Miami. One of them. Oh, how awesome. As well as um, Jennifer Pasteloff, who people may not know, but they'll know her soon. And um, Nadia Boltz-Weber, another really inspirational woman. So they're all women in recovery from something or other. And it's going to be a great time in Miami. And we still do have some spots left for Miami, but we're just about sold out. Love it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, I'm going to close out with... Um... My uh, my favorite saying that I can't say, I, I don't own it. I stole it from somebody else, but I think it packs a punch and is so powerful um, that it is never too late to start loving yourself and you are only one decision away from a completely different life. So love it. Yeah, I know. Isn't that great? So good. Yeah. So thank you again so much, Dawn. Uh, it's been for my everything. pleasure, Patrick. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. With that, we are out. For more information on today's episode, check out the show notes. Recovery Stories is brought to you by Promises Behavioral Health's Rooted Alumni Community. If you or a loved one are struggling, have questions, or ready to take the next step, call our admission center at 888-648-4098. Or visit us online at www.promisesbehavioralhealth.com. Our team is ready and waiting to answer the call for help. Whether you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please share with your friends. Follow, subscribe, and leave us a review. We are grateful for you and hope that you have been encouraged by today's episode. As always, remember you are only one decision away from a completely different life, and it is never too late to start loving yourself. 